you've been disrupted. This is the podcast that explores the business challenges in a thoroughly disrupted world. We talk to industry leaders from Fortune 1000 companies about their personal journey and get insights to help you reinvent yourself and your firm. I'm Steve Liguori. My expertise has been in coaching legacy firms to rediscover their lost entrepreneurial genes so that they can rediscover great ways to grow. I honed this over several decades working in the food business at Kraft and Pepsi, then in banking at both Citibank and Morgan Stanley, and finally at General Electric, where I was the executive director of global innovation in a really, really exciting time. And I'm Akiva Bibi. I've spent the last 20 years enabling tech startups and Fortune 500s to work together and succeed in our fast-changing digital economy. My obsessive interest, which I did my master's on, has been focused on how to anticipate and lead disruptive changes shaping the marketplace. In this episode, we're going to talk about what it takes to reinvent yourself during a time of huge disruption. And to help us, we're talking to someone who's done just that, transferring her leadership skills across many diverse sectors, from automotive to financial services, and finally to insurance. Hi, everyone. This is Jean Werner. I currently am head of our incubator at Munich Re in the U.S. You're going to find that Jean is a skilled strategist known for building high-performance teams. Her core expertise is her ability to lead complex business transformations that fuel both top and bottom line growth, independent of industry. During her time as either a CEO or division president, she's led four different business transformations. And in her current role, Jean and her team are building innovative new products that are delivering transformative results. It goes without saying that 2020 was an incredible year of global disruption. And while it's important to talk about that and certainly keep it in perspective, in this episode of You've Been Disrupted, we're going to follow Jean's career path to understand how she reinvented herself and how you can too. We'll see how taking personal risk and embracing disruption and combining it with continuous learning can help you land on your feet when the unexpected disrupts your life and your profession. I've known Jean professionally for over 15 years. We first connected at GE in 2005, and we've stayed in touch ever since. We're going to do a rewind to the beginning of her career. We want to find out exactly how disruption helped her develop a powerful skill set as a leader that she can now apply in today's fast-changing business world. We started out along Jean's journey of reinvention by asking her to tell us about her present role. It's a really exciting role. Munich Re is uh, the largest global reinsurer. And as the world changes, new risks appear. And we know we need to be in the forefront of those and to figure out new business models in new emerging risks where, you know, you don't have data, you don't, you don't have any past experience. And so our team, we have a team of co-founders that are looking at a couple of different big topics, uh, resilience and digital trust. And we're building ventures, we call them ventures, but they're meant to be businesses, separate businesses. Um, and, and so we're, it, it, it covers the gamut. I mean, we're using um, all sorts of well-known uh, techniques within the incubator and methodologies that allow us to, you know, spend as little as possible when the, 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 the risks are high and there's a lot of unknowns so that you have more certainty as, as you evolve the venture through the process, you get more certainty and um, can, can put more against it. So it's a lot of fun. 
Now, Gene, just to, to help kind of also ground our, our audience a little bit, um, I'm going to guess that you didn't grow up in the reinsurance business or the, even the insurance business in general. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, Steve. I, I mean, my insurance journey really has been about six or seven years, a, a bit of it back at, at GE. I was leading a business unit at GE, as you well know. And part of that was insurance. So that gave me my first exposure into sort of the back end of insurance and, and claims and the processing and the complexity of it. Um, but I also led the direct to consumer business at MetLife. And that was uh, in 2014. So that was uh, uh, really my first foray into the insurance world. I know about the last 15 years of your journey, but take us back to, you know, maybe even, you know, getting out of school. What did you want to do? And tell us how the heck have you become a top insurance executive in a you know major global firm when, you know, like most of us, you know, you, know, you came out of school and you're like, geez, what am I going to do now? Give us a, a flavor exactly. of the different roles, companies and positions you've been through. It's been quite a journey. And when I think back on the years, it's, it's hard to imagine how you could have envisioned how it unfolds. And when I, um, you know, I've got a mentor and coach a lot of young folks and, and, you know, people seem to stress out about, well, I, I should really know now what I'm going to be in 10, 5, 10, 15 years. And, and honestly, I wouldn't have been able to, to think through all that uh, back at the beginning, but uh, I did start in Detroit. That's where I'm from and spent the first 10 years of my career at a one of the top five global marketing advertising agencies. And we, um, uh, our accounts were automotive. So Cadillac, Pontiac, uh, GM account. And so I really learned um, global brand marketing. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the key thread here that began um, uh, a common theme throughout my career is we were, we were working on direct mail as well. And so we were beginning to data and analytics to help inform uh, how we um, gain market share. And so that that began um, uh, a real passion that I discovered, uh, less so for brand marketing and more for uh, direct-to-consumer, direct marketing um, fueled by data uh, and insights, customer insights. And the last couple of years of, of, of that 10-year decade, uh, I had the good fortune to be asked to lead uh, the GM card gold card account and ah, mm -hmm. I, and the reasons was is because earlier and i've told this story before we were in a, a town hall in our uh, in our company and uh someone asked a question at the end you know why don't we have women running a car account and the head of the office was a great guy and he said look i gotta be transparent with you we need to mirror our clients and there aren't any women leading Division. Ah. And so for me, I was so excited when I heard that. I, I was, I, I, I didn't look at it as a negative. I thought he was so honest. I'm going to leave Detroit. <laughs> this is perfect. I don't know how I'm going to do that when, but I did talk to the head of HR uh, pretty quickly and said, look, when, when something different comes up other than a car account, I, I would love the chance to lead it. Of course, I was very young. Um, and so this card account came up and I, I remember running down to the HR and she said, don't worry, I've already talked to the head of your office. It's yours. You, you, we, we, you know, it, I was younger in my career to um, sort of too young to have 
of an account, but it was small. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people thought it was crazy. There's nobody asked to be taken off a car account in Detroit. Right. I mean, it had to be one of the premier type of accounts you get in any ad agency. But I did. And so I got it and I was able to leap ahead pretty quickly, leading this small GM gold card account. And in doing so, you know, made relationships, you know, develop relationships with a different uh, group, a different sector because it was financial services. So I started going to financial services conferences and seeing, you know, a lot more people maybe that looked like me there and thought, okay, this is how I can transfer from automotive and take my, uh, you know, the, the, uh, data and analytics skills and transfer those to financial services that, you know, relied so much on that. And then that led me actually to my next job. A fascinating thing you said there around being a, a woman in that role, in a leadership role, woman in leadership is a big thing today, but, you know, going back that time, I mean, it was a very new kind very of entity, very unusual. Yeah, yeah. It, it was quite common to be the only woman in the room, and in my next role in financial services, I was the first female vice president at that company. But honestly, I don't. I I think today when I talk to to young folks who are looking or asking that same question, um, I, I would coach them differently. I mean, it was it was a different time then, and and now I think it's important to bring your whole self to work. Uh, I think people have more freedom to do that today versus, you know, a young woman in in you know the early 90s uh downplayed i sort of didn't want them to notice i was a woman i just was you know doing my thing um and so i would say today it's really about building building your network um and this this gets to the common theme i think that you know steve you you touched on that we've known each other for 15 years and that's not by accident that we're still connected really important to to keep your network current Yep. You keep your network current with yes. folks who share common values, regardless of industry or position or anything um, like that. I've been out of GE for six years and I definitely keep in touch with several people from those days. And it's because we share common values. I think that's a, a great leadership trait that you have that kind of rides with you through thick and thin. So let's get back to your career. You went from an ad agency to a financial services company. How many people I do did. that? I did. I did. Uh, and, and moved my family out of Detroit about two years after that uh, that uh, fateful meeting. And I was thrilled to have the opportunity to do this. Uh, this company was uh, called Fingerhut, the second largest catalog company in the U.S. and very data driven. So um, they sold products to direct to consumer through their catalog and did it over time. And uh, so people could pay monthly payments. Um, and so th- they really had a rich database of payment history um, and th- that wasn't found at the credit bureaus. And so what what they did was start a credit card uh, division. And so I was part of that startup credit card division within this large company. We actually did an IPO about 18 months later, spun out, became a separate publicly traded company. And that group eventually within six uh, years became the 10th largest credit card issuer in the U.S. So that was a time of tremendous growth and change for me personally as a, a young um, executive leading marketing, um, but then building out other functions. So in that capacity, I was able to um, develop a, a data-driven marketing team, an analytics team, a sales team, a client services team, and um, really learned 
in that environment, how a, a leadership team led a company. So I had the good fortune to be part of the leadership team there and saw, you know, how each month we went through the business reviews and really for about a five, six year period, deeply learned to lead business units. And so I left and that's when I took a chief marketing officer role at GE business unit um, that was, had been struggling and they put a, a new team together. I was the outside hire and within 18 months, uh, my, the president of the division had taken a new role within GE, a big promotion. And so um, I t- got that role um, and I was able to go from a marketing role. And as you might remember, Steve, in those days at GE, that was almost unheard of that you put a marketing person in to lead a P&L. Right. As a general mm-hmm. manager or president of one yeah. of the one of the business yeah. units, totally unheard for. I mean, it was another instance of you becoming a pioneer and I'd say, be, you know, yeah. be, Beating the odds are certainly what the, you know, what the norms are at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I felt ready for it because of the past experience. And so, again, looking back, um, the the work and and the, um, the continued learning that happened during my early days, I, I still take to heart today that I, I, I'm, always looking to see what else can I learn. I, I set little mini goals for myself. I think it, uh, there's there's things that I'm not doing anything um, unique that others aren't doing, but I think it's about being proactive about your career and set, you know, knowing yourself and then setting goals for yourself in terms of what else can you learn and, and how can you expand your skills? Because then suddenly new skills as time goes on, you know, people need new skill sets, you know, new technologies come about. How do you stay fresh on those things? And I have found that hmm. by exploring new roles that sometimes nobody raises their hand for allows you to um, have a deeper skill set that actually can be transferable. So the, the work that I did at the financial services company was very transferable to GE because we had the experience of seeing how all the different functions operated uh, firsthand. And um, the, the, the general manager role at GE, certainly, and this was a GE, was not matrix. So all the functions reported directly to the general manager. So in this case, it was me. And, and not having IT or risk or any of the other functions, HR, be foreign to me. They weren't foreign. And, and Gene, I mean, there's a theme that I'm seeing emerging here around you being unafraid to really take some massive risks that pretty from your point of view sounds like it's quite normal. But I guess for most of us folks, you know, to completely switch a career or switch a job or do the kind of stuff where no one else has done it, right? That's that's quite an exceptional skill to have. I mean, I mean I'm listening to you and you sound makes sound so normal and easy. And I'm going, whoa, that is that's like incredible. I think some of the things as I look back and in, in thinking about this topic, some of it can be taught and learned and, and some of it you get from sponsors and mentors, right? Mm. And I remember as I had announced my resignation to, and I was telling everybody I was leaving the agency world and leaving Detroit, almost everybody said I was crazy. Almost everybody. <laughs> How can you be leaving your career in this field and someone, I remember somebody said to me, well, Jean, aren't you afraid? And mm. I clearly, I said, I would be more afraid to stay 
that if I don't take the leap wow. now, that, you know, 20 years from now, I might not take the leap. You went even to more different places, right? So tell, tell us about your, your next couple of roles. So the GE whole thing was a three-year transformation, amazing role, wonderful team. Uh, the business was transformed. We were successful with that, and uh, it was uh, sold to Allstate. Um, and so my next role uh, was CEO of uh, a shapewear company, a mid-sized company, and they needed a CEO to come in and, and do a transformation. The business model had been broken. And, you know, I had done the successful transformation at GE, um, certainly had done a startup within a company that grew to, to a large company. Um, so I, I fit what they were looking for. And uh, I thought it would be interesting to, uh, to be a CEO. <laughs> uh, and so I, and um, did that for a few years. And, and it was a successful turnaround. Um, so, yes, I, I would say that the common theme with that, when you say, well, how did you go from that to a shapewear company? It was actually a direct-to-consumer business model. And so very data-driven, um, direct-to-consumer. And, and so the core of how the business operated was very similar to the kinds of businesses that I had been leading, even though they were services businesses, they were reoccurring, you know, um, SaaS model businesses prior to this. So there, it, it, there, it did make sense. It made sense, but you, you went from being a, a GM in one of the largest, you know, north yeah. of a hundred billion dollar companies in the, in the world to, being a standalone CEO, working for private equity, and oh, by the way, going from a GE-run business to yes. a, a fashion business. I mean, that, yeah. I, I look at that and say, like, wow, talk talk about disrupting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Where does that come from, that restlessness? Because clearly, I mean, listening to your career and the diversity of your career and the the bold moves that you've made that many would wish they could, it's not a normal thing, let's just say. The, the normal <laughs> thing is to go with the default, go with what's safe, I mean, you most definitely did not travel that path. Well, you know, the business GE was being sold. And so there were, you know, certainly I was facing different options. I knew that it, I wasn't going to be staying with GE during, during that sale. And so, um, you know, you look at different opportunities. I looked at it as an opportunity to, to take, try my hand at being a CEO. Um, what I did find is that my, well, it was fantastic, a fantastic role and I enjoyed it. I'm very centered in large corporates. I, the, the whole matrix thing, you know, when you're interviewing for jobs like that, people say, well, you know, do you, do you, does that bother you? I actually thrive on that. So I, my next roles were, you know, from there were large corporates. How did you come to the realization that Big companies and matrices were okay, not only okay, but in your case, you said you actually prefer that and you do navigate it extremely well versus being standalone as a, as a CEO, completely running your own shop. You know, you and I have had lots of conversations about being a corporate entrepreneur and, you know, mm -hmm. having the ability to do that. And I, you know, I always look at you, quite frankly, as a role model of someone who's done it extremely well. You function in a large multinational global matrix. Yet, oh, by the way, you bring a ton of startup qualities and you know entrepreneurship and thing to not just to yourself but to your team. How did you figure that out? Because I think it's so important in people's careers that 
you know, you follow your, your passion. And even if you can't change tomorrow, you don't stick in a job or career path that just, you know, is a dead end to you. I think it gets back to being proactive about managing your career. And I would say that to people now, you know, it, it, it's never too late to start. You never want to be in a situation you haven't expanded your network or, you know, it's gone stale or you've, you know, people, you, you might find yourself in a, in a sector that's gone stale. So thinking ahead, you know, and setting the time for yourself on a regular basis to, to take stock is really important because in that reflection, inevitably, and, and for me, I discovered um, things that I were energizing for me and things that weren't. And that helped, uh, that helped as I was thinking through what might that next thing and how could I transfer that and who do I need to know in another industry and who could I ask for an introduction and, and just that, just structuring that for yourself in a way that uh, makes sense for you individually. I know for myself taking the chance and it was super exciting to, go be a CEO and, and lead this thing. And I had, it was, it was wonderful. There were great things about it, but I also learned that in a small organization, a mid-sized type company, it's, there are a lot fewer people. And I discovered that I really liked in a large organization, your opportunity to connect with really smart people just expands so much more. And, and that's what I found I was, I was missing as a CEO of a mid-sized company. Jean, how did, like, what were some of those transferable leadership qualities and skills that made you thrive so well? And I guess that attracted you to those industries that we could all learn from. I think of them as three skills that transfer well. First is leadership. Being able to come in, assess a business, create a vision, you know, analyze what's happening, what could be improved, create a vision and a way forward, and then getting a team around it, getting alignment from the team, and then seeing through to the execution. So I, it wouldn't be as satisfying for me, I, I know, if it were just to set up a strategy and then move on. I actually mm-hmm. enjoy the strategic part, but I equally enjoy the, the messiness and the imperfectness of, of seeing it through and executing and seeing a team come together around that. So for me, leadership is the first one. The second would be team building. I I really love building high-performing teams and seeing them start at the beginning and surrounding myself and building a team with people who uh, hopefully are smarter than (laughs) me. On, on key areas of the business. So if you're leading a particular function, my, my hope would be, and I, we've, I've been fortunate to find really great people, is that you're, you're, you're smarter than me in your area of the business that you're leading. Um, because empowering smart people is, is, and having that diverse mix of skills is the winning combination. So the team building would be the second for me. And then the third one is being humble and listening. Um, Mm. It's important to follow data and insights to inform the strategy, but it's equally important to listen to the folks around you and be humble enough to hear and not have to know everything in the room. I mean, the thing that jumps to mind immediately in this virtual world, we all find ourselves in 
like so many people are asking us, you know, how do we cope with this? Your work across these massive organizations, I mean, I'd love to hear, you know, how do you build high-performing teams in a virtual situation? How do you create that listening space? I think a lot of us are struggling with that right now. Yeah, fortunately, we have all this great technology now. And for us, we were very intentional about check-ins, quick little check-ins throughout the week. And I now see anytime we felt like, wow, this is going along great. We were always asking, but what, where are the cracks? What's falling through the cracks? And so making little pivots as we went throughout each month helped us. And I think actually, because we're all virtual, what might have seemed more hierarchical flattened even further. And we're not very hierarchical, we're a small team, but I think it flattened even further because people can use, people are using chat all the time now. You know, you're not just mm. seeing people in the hallway. You, you miss that and you miss lunches together, right? But mm. we've replaced that with so many other things that I feel we've maintained and developed closeness. Good, good, good. Great insight. Now let me pivot the conversation to another place where you know, without getting into specifics, you know, you got disrupted in that you were running a role in a large organization before your present role where yes. there was an executive decision made to say, you know, hey, it's really great what you're doing, but we're not doing that anymore as a company. So right. you got disrupted in that case and quickly landed on your feet. Lessons from that or things you could share? First, my recommendation is don't hide out. Give yourself a couple of days to, you know, reflect, but then Really, when you're in transition, the best thing you can do is get out. And, you know, it's a, it can start with simple things. It's just making a list. Make a list. Who are the 10 people that you should let know right away? And just let them know, hey, I'm, I'm in transition. I'm leaving. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. and then after that, begin to frame up, you know, certainly if company, many companies as, as people are getting displaced offer, you know, outplacement stuff. And those, those firms are great. Take advantage, full advantage of that because they'll help you self-reflect as well and dust off your resume. Um, but hopefully, and this gets back to the proactive career planning, hopefully your resume isn't too dated. Like there, if you, if you have your, on your schedule to proactively manage your career, you've been updated your resume just to keep it fresh. You know, people do their annual reviews anyway. So just, you know, fold those things in and keep it fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, and then focus in on that main theme of what is it that you're looking for next and, and having that story in a nutshell, because when you do reach out to folks, I find that people want to help people. Um, and so when you reach out to your network, being able to succinctly tell them, this is actually what I'm looking for. And can you help me? And, you know, LinkedIn is a great tool. There are other great tools, but you can go and look and do a little bit of research ahead of time. Try to make it as easy as possible for people to help you. And so if you can look at their network. Um, yeah. I believe that your next role will most likely be found through your network. It's good to have a recruiter network, but it's going to be through your network. And that's where our fascinating chat with Gene Verner ends. But before we go, we thought it would be good to go over the takeaways from Gene to help you reinvent yourself in today's crazily disrupted world. Her journey has taken her from being one of the very first female account leaders in advertising 
into direct-to-consumer finance business at GE, then into fashion at a private equity firm, then into insurance, and now finally into the reinsurance business. Some of the things that have helped Jean develop such professional diversity is being proactive about her career and at the same time organizing herself as a change agent and a risk taker. What summed it up for me was her recounting the story of a colleague asking her if she was scared to be leaving a job and moving to a new city. Her response? I'd be more afraid if I stayed. To me, that's a personal leadership thing. I would offer this to you. Be comfortable in your own skin and then boldly follow your journey and your passion. At the same time, be aware of where your strengths reside. For Jean, it's the ability to lead transformative initiatives within large complex organizations. Few, it might be a startup or an entrepreneurship role. And always maintain a good network. It never hurts to stay in touch with former colleagues and sponsors. Finally, three skills that Jean believes are the most important in being a great leader. Building great teams, be a good listener, and never stop learning. Humility is a core part of Jean's success. And I believe that humility and courage are two sides of the same coin. Having the courage to listen and the courage to learn as an executive is one of the most important traits for leaders of the future. Putting it a bit more bluntly, you've got to be humble and you've got to have courage because there's no way you could possibly know all the answers. Combine that with a good team and you have the makings of a healthier work environment and a much more enjoyable career journey as we all get disrupted. Thanks for listening to this episode of You've Been Disrupted with me, Steve Ligori, and my co-host, Akiva Baby. Find our podcast series at bit.ly forward slash disrupted today. That's B-I-T-L-Y forward slash disrupted today. You can find all our episodes of this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you choose to get your podcasts. You've Been Disrupted is produced by Ligori Innovation just outside Metro New York in association with cliffcentral.com in Johannesburg, South Africa. We'll talk to you all again soon.